Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, I'll be reading Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Blessed is the reading of God's holy infallible, inerrant, and sure word to the church. So Father, help me teach this text accurately. Protect from error that I may speak. Each heart protect and that which is here, that which we see, and help us see clearly what is here. Work it in us. Oh, cause us to really day by day sense and feel only Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to be with Your Son. I want to be molded by Him, I want to walk in holiness. Do that in our midst. To the glory of His name. Amen. You know, when pollsters like Barna Research Group and Gallup, etc., when they ask <laughs> Americans one of the most meaningless questions, are you a born-again Christian. It usually comes out to right around 40 to 45% of Americans say, yes, I'm a born-again Christian. I accepted Jesus into my heart. And the reason I say it's meaningless is because when they pull the same people, a large majority of those who profess, I accepted Jesus into my heart, live no differently than the culture around them concerning morality. Like internet thievery of intellectual property. Or the abuse of alcohol. Or living according to their sexual desires that are clearly forbidden in the Scripture. They look just like the culture. Or to say it, in the way that Paul says it here. They live just like the Gentiles. They live like people who have not been saved, who have not been born again, who have not, by the Holy Spirit, been made alive to Christ to taste and to see that He is good and that He is the, the joy and the drive of my life. They live as though they are still natural in the way they were born. Dead in their sin. Alienated from the very life of God. And in light of the lifestyles of a good percentage of American evangelicals, this passage is like Paul crying out to those who are asleep in the dark because they're deceived about who Jesus is about what salvation is. It's like Paul walking into the bedroom of the church and shaking her and saying, Wake up! And this is the way he says it beginning at verse 17. Here's my own translation. Therefore, this I say and testify to in the Lord. Here it is. Here's his this. That you are 
to no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk. Now, the word therefore, it's not there in ESV, it should be. I have no idea what they're thinking. But the word therefore points back to verse 1 of chapter 4. When Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then for the next, I don't know, five or six weeks, we saw what Paul did from verses 4 through 16, where he applied that worthy walk to how it looks in the local church concerning unity of the Spirit. Unity around clear Christian doctrine and thus unity around spiritual maturity. And now in verse 17, he pivots to show how walking in a worthy manner affects personal holiness. And to drive this home, he uses strong language in verse 17. This, that's his first word besides the transition, therefore. This, I say. Uh, and I testify in the Lord. It's a rhetorical device. To testify is to testify. Like in court, yes, I raise my right hand. I'm under oath about the truthfulness of which I'm going to say, and this is Paul's strong way of essentially saying, This I charge you. Do not continue to live like unbelievers. That is what he means by Gentile. In other words, what Paul says here are not helpful hints, they're not suggestions on how to get along in life. He says he's testifying something much more important than in a courtroom in the county of Los Angeles. I testify in the Lord. He's pointing to his source of authority for this testimony. It is the Lord giving the commandments for how Christians must not live. And so then, what we have before us is this graphic picture of how his readers once lived before they were changed, supernaturally encountered by the Gospel. And they came to Christ. And that's why he says, you must no longer walk this way. Obviously you did before. There are only two peoples, two kinds of people in the world right now. Those who are born again. They're in Christ. And Christ is in them. And then those who are not born again. They continue to live in the way in which we're all born, naturally. Alienated from God. Separated from the life of God. Absolutely clueless of the reality of who He really is. And that's why Paul here says that there is a new life that comes through the Gospel and it makes a distinct break from one's natural, former way of life. Don't live that way like you used to any longer. Because something's happened. What they love now in coming to Christ is different. And how they pursue and how they act upon what they love 
evidences itself in how they live. Or more precisely, the way he says it here, how they no longer live. So, if you're there in the text, in verse 17, Paul tells Christians how not to live. Do not live like unregenerate people, unbelievers. Then, in the rest of the passage, Paul goes on to describe what he really is driving at. What is the essence? And he goes to the inside first. What's going on on the inside? Not the actions. Not the actual walking yet. He goes to what's happening on the inside of an unbeliever. And he, and he captures that with this phrase. Don't live in the futility of your minds. A futile, empty way of thinking. And then he tells us why unbelievers live in this empty, useless way of thinking. Why? Because they are darkened. They are in darkness. They are darkened in their understanding. That's what he says. That's why they live in the futility. Oh, and not only are they darkened in their thought processing on what will dictate how they act and live, they are, they are also alienated from the very life of God. And then he says the reason the unbeliever is alienated from God is because deep down within them, they are ignorant of God. They just don't know Him. And the reason for that kind of ignorance that is in them is because of their hardness of heart. And then in verse 19, He shows what kind of lifestyle flows out of that process of darkness, ignorance, Hardness of heart. He says it's a libertine. Live and let live. A plunging into unrestrained and insatiable sexual sin. And so Paul wants every believer, because he's writing it to the church, I think, to follow what he's saying, so that we keep a lookout on each step in our own lives so that we don't fall prey to a calloused, hard heart towards God, which leads to a, I choose the words very purposely, it leads to a willful ignorance and an intellectual excuse-making so that I can walk in love with the world. Notice that in every believer, Paul calls them, in verse 17, to not walk or live your lives in the futility of your minds like unbelievers. Now, futility in the word that is translated, it, it means empty. It, it means useless. It refers to a mind. It doesn't mean that the person can't have a Ph.D. in mathematics. It just means that their mind, when it really matters about reality, it lacks substance. It's a thought process, day to day, that just leans toward distractions, distraction, emptiness, futility, to pass away time in weeks, months, in years. And for some, it, it manifests itself from party to party. Where's the next party? I mean, if, if alcohol and drugs can make me sensually feel better now, week by week, then that'll be my pattern of life. That was my pattern of life from age 16 to 20 until new life in Christ invaded the darkness. 
How? It didn't say darkness too. It just the light shone and the darkness was gone. My desires and my thought processes changed and thus how I walked. Now, when Paul says this, he's not dumb. He knows then and he knows now that there are unbelievers who use their minds and they even do noble things. Some become physicians in order to help save people's lives, help them live a better and longer life. Others coach children's baseball teams. That's a noble thing. Others teach school, and hopefully they're teaching them math and reading and writing. Paul knows that. What he is pointing at when he says the futility, the emptiness of the mind is that as they go through life, they're doing it without taking God and eternity, the ultimate things, into account. They're not in their consideration on their decision making. And thus, their lives, their walk, is ultimately futile. It's empty. It's purposeless. It's as the preacher said, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Empty. Yes, they might find a cure for cancer. It's noble. Hope they do. But they will die. They're gone. And everyone who was ever cured of cancer will die. And they're gone. And eventually the sun will burn the earth up and there will be no life anymore. And it's utterly futile without God. To live in the futility of one's mindset and thinking is to live without regard for God and Christ and for eternity and for consequences. It is to therefore live for the self-gratification of sensual pleasures without regard for the consequences of eternity. Paul is saying, don't Live as if God doesn't exist. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't don't live as if Christ did not die for your sins in order to break you free from your former enslavement to sin and your sinful desires. This way, he says it in verse 17. Therefore, this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, he's not done. Because now he goes on to say that the futility of the mind comes from something. It comes from having been darkened in the understanding. Let me, let me just read it with my translations. You can see because this is the flow and the logic of his text. Unbelievers, they live in the futility of their minds. Why? Because they have been darkened in their understanding. When Adam sinned, it plunged the entire human race into intellectual and mental darkness. By nature, we human beings became incapable of reasoning things through from God's perspective. Oh, we can follow the laws of logic and understand that two plus two, that that idea out there is equals four, always does. Absolutely. But the darkness 
is in the mind and in the reasoning faculties. It's impossibility to see reality for what it truly is from God's perspective. This is how Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. Talking about those who hear the Gospel <laughs> and go on living in the futility of their mind. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded. You blind. Everything's dark to you. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They're darkened. Now, of course, Paul goes on to say in verse 6 that for those who are being saved, the miracle is God has come, who He is, light, and thus darkness fleed, and they are saved. Because they see. See, verse 6 says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, He's the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Darkness is the inability to understand reality. And ultimately, what really matters the glory of God in the person and face of Jesus Christ. Now just for a moment, I want you to notice the similarity of what Paul says here in Ephesians 4 with what he said in Romans 1, verse 21. That's how he put it there. For although, he's talking about all of us born into this world as sinners, every one of us, here's our natural state. For although they knew God existed, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became, and say, here's the same word Paul uses in Ephesians, they became futile in their thinking. He says, Futile mind in Ephesians. Here, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Can't see. When sin came into the world, the light within us simple human beings went out concerning spirituality. The one true God. See, not only are unbelievers, which, which is every single one of us at one time or another in this church today, but not only are unbelievers darkened, according to Paul, in their understanding, but they love the darkness, according to Jesus. This is how he said it in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment that light it's himself that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light why because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. So when Paul tells us here in Ephesians 4, 17 to 18, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds because they are darkened in their understanding. 
The picture that he paints here is not, oh, there's people out there in darkness who really want light. They really want the truth. Not according to Jesus. No, they're going on. They are partying in the dark. They are pursuing their PhDs in the dark. And they don't want the light to expose their sin. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, the lack of knowledge that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The darkness is another way for Paul saying they are cut off from the life of God. They're alienated from the Creator in sin. And that spiritual separation explains why unbelievers walk in the futility of their thinking. Paul clearly laid this out earlier. And I'm just going to read it in chapter 2. Starting with verses 1 through 3. This is all of us, naturally. Before coming to Christ, because of God's mercy, this is the human being. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience to God. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. See, what Paul's doing there, what he's doing here in Ephesians 4, (laughs) Christianity is not about cleaning up the outside of the cup. It's not, go clean your lives up, And if you stop doing X, Y, and Z, then you become a Christian. That's not what Christianity is. It is about the light coming into you and chasing away the darkened mind. Chasing away the darkened understanding of how to live. When light comes, darkness somehow, immediately, Christianity is about the life of God coming into the soul where we cry out, according to Paul, Abba, Father, I can't, this is amazing. I'm so different than before. My bu- you don't see what Jesus said? How can you not see that? You can say, well, you didn't see it because you were in darkness like you friend. Oh, what mercy. And we realize, as Paul says, we're no longer alienated from God's life. But He dwells in us through and because of Jesus Christ. And that's what exactly what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, the very next verse, right? After that horrific circumstance we're all in, he says, but God, being rich in His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us 
alive together with His Son. We're no longer alienated. Unless anybody say, well, it ain't my fault then, because I'm born into darkness and alienation from God. Lest anyone dare to say that, Paul says, no. The futility of your reasoning, unbeliever, is because of your ignorance of what is truly significant. Wait a minute. Okay, Okay. again. No, he says, and that ignorance comes from or is because of the hardness of your. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The spiritual ignorance he's talking about in this text is traced to the Hardness of one's heart towards God, towards the gospel. And it is that hardness of heart that keeps a person willfully ignorant of God's commands and His love through Jesus Christ. It keeps people alienated from God's life because they love Sin, love, darkness so much. And that leads them to act, to live out their internal darkened drives, which, according to Paul throughout his letters and in this text, most often express themselves in the misuse of sex. Sexual immorality. That's what he goes on to say in verse 19. They have become callous. Literally, let me just begin. Why did they do that? Because they have become, therefore, callous, they have given themselves up to sensuality. Greed. To practice all kinds of impurity. So here, in verse 19, what Paul is doing, he's describing the internal workings again with the sensuality that's inside of us. And then that internal working works its way out into its goal and its purpose of following it practicing it. And that is what he says to church members. You must no longer walk that way. Don't let this be your life. He says, and having become callous. Well, to be callous means to become very insane sensitive or to cease to feel. See, back in my day, we played one sport a season. So we would put a baseball bat down for five months and my hands would become soft. And then you get back into the cage five months later and you bleed and it hurts. But you got to get back in there again and bleed a little bit more and rip the skin off. Within a couple of weeks, the calluses are ready to go for the next six months. You can stick a needle through them sideways. Remember? You know, kids do it. can't feel it. This is, this is what he's driving at. But, of course, he's applying it to spirituality and morality. And so when, when Paul here applies, they become callous to spirituality or to morality. It means they lose the capacity to feel any shame or to feel Fear of God. 
So Paul seems to be aware of a threat. Of the threat that the world, the cultures, the Gentiles, and his godlessness could be creeping into the church. Well, why would he say no longer live that way? And particularly even in his own day, where they would twist his gospel of grace. Let us just sin all the more. Paul, that's what you're teaching. He says, let them be damned. Because it's a wrong inference. So Paul sees this danger of the world creeping into the church. With the deceptions of, I'm in Christ. I'm saved by grace. I could not do anything to save myself, which is absolutely right. This is why Paul would say, you're half right, but the other half wrong makes the whole thing wrong. I am in Christ. Therefore, there are no more don'ts for me. Paul didn't catch that because he just told them, do not any longer walk this way. But I'm free. No, you're not. You're in radical bondage to sin. But I'm free in Christ. You don't know what freedom in Christ is. Jesus came to not only justify you based upon nothing you have done, but to sanctify you, to be working in you, and to be freeing you now from the enslavement of sin that we all experienced unhinderedly before Christ. But this idea of freedom in Christ, it actually seems to be a slogan that the Corinthian church would say and become like a mantra to them. Free! And here's why. Because there's truth to that. Oh, does Christ make us free. But the way they use the slogan, Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians 6 when he wrote to them this. And the translators appropriately put it in quotes because it's most clearly a a well-known quotation. All things are lawful for me. But Paul goes on to say, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated by anything. Corinthians, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but it's meant for the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus is meant for the body do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of of a prostitute? Never flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Unless, as Paul would say in Ephesians, you're darkened. You live in ignorance. Because of the hardness of your heart. 
Paul says there is an ignorance in the unbelieving human being that is not freedom. But it's actually God's judgment. That's why they feel so free to give themselves over to sensuality. I didn't make that up. Let me just how Paul says this in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And therefore, as a response, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies sexually among themselves. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion in homosexuality. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind in order that they would do what they ought not to do. Okay. That's not freedom. That's judgment. And now here in Ephesians 4.19, Paul says it this way. And having, because they have, become callous, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, the word here, translated sensuality, it refers to a person who just casts off all restraint. Sensuality, it, it points to the internal sensual, the senses and drives that would feel so good that it just becomes undisciplined in its life. And especially, but not limited to, unrestrained sexual lust. And its drive to just indulge the sensual pleasures. More drugs. Oh, I just feel, just feel. More money makes me feel oh, relaxed. The more insensitive and the more calloused the heart becomes towards God, then according to Paul, the more free it feels to give its decision-making power over to its own sensuality. And it has a purpose. Again, the purpose clause isn't there in the ESV. The other ones smartly, essentially have it. The purpose is so that I can do my internal drives. That's why the darkness. I want to be able to do it and sleep at night. The purpose is the, literally the word is work. Working out or acting out or doing all kinds of, and then he uses the word impurity. With greediness. He doesn't mean impurity and greed. He means a greediness for more and more sexual impurity. It's insatiable. Most commentators agree that when Paul uses this word impurity, here and all over the place in his list, it always has this sexual, immoral connotation. Just for a moment, I want to read to verse 19 from the New American Standard Bible first. They translate it. It's a good translation. And they, having become callous, 
have given themselves over to sensuality for this purpose, the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And the NIV also nails the meaning when they translate it this way. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more and more. So when Paul says here in verse 19, so that their sensuality will be their drive to practice all kinds of impurity, he finally then reaches the level of the outward behavior that flows from the darkness, from the alienation, from the ignorance that is in them, from the hardness of heart to the callous unfeeling of any moral restraints into the deep sensuality or lustfulness and thus to finally live it out. Which points back to verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's only one Savior for anybody. There's only one Savior from the futility of our minds, from the darkness, from the ignorance, from the hardness of heart, from the sensuality and all-controlling sinful drives of our minds and affections. And that Savior is Jesus. And the way He saves is by giving new life. New life by the Spirit, by new birth, and thus, for every believer, commanded, go on, walk by the Spirit, and you will not be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's what Paul assumes when he writes to us. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And that is what Paul will then go on and continue to say in what follows. Which will come to God willing next week. But I'll read it. This walking the way the Gentiles walk, giving yourself over to sensuality and then the practice of all kinds of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard Him and were taught in Him as truth is in Jesus to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But instead this, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Our hope of being free, of following such destructive ways of living and life like the Gentiles, the only hope is hearing. Hearing Christ. Seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hearing, as Jesus said, His sheep will always hear His voice is to hear the great shepherd of the sheep. And as we see in the next text next week, 
renewing our minds with truth. It is a battle for every true Christian to put off the, the, the internal drives to live as an unbeliever and to continually put on new life in Christ and walk it out. Because, as Paul says in Romans, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and don't miss it. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The only battle, the only way to win the battle against innate sinfulness and sinful nature of every believer is by a stronger desire, a stronger allurement, the joy that's in Christ. And it's one of the reasons every month we come to the table. We who have said, I'm, I feel so sure that I, I believe this wonderful Gospel. And, and thus you come into Christ and into the church through water baptism, why we monthly partake together of the body and the blood. Physically, we can hold it. Jesus alone is our Savior and our Deliverer. So as we turn that way now, just keep this in mind as we'll eat and we'll drink. As Paul said at the end of Romans, wrestling with his sinful inclinations as a believer who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, You are good. Your Gospel to us, the good news that You have brought to us, the accomplishment of eternal joy and salvation for wretched, God-belittling, darkened, alienated sinners. We thank You. We once were those who though we knew You, did not honor You or give thanks. But we, in Jesus, thank You for such a salvation. To the glory of His name. Amen.